Welcome to the Academy Podcast, a podcast dedicated to sharing rich content for the purpose of spiritual growth. I'm your host, Shalom Agdarab. The Academy creates transformative space for people to connect with God, self, others, and creation for the sake of the world. To learn more about the Academy, visit academy.upperroom.org. Fall is here, autumn if you fancy. Everywhere I look in the Pacific Northwest points to a shift in the seasons. Less sunlight and warmth signal to the trees that it's time for chlorophyll to break down and for bright green to give way to bright yellows and oranges and reds. Trees bear witness to change. They remain responsive to their context, which means they also bear witness to the increase of carbon dioxide. I just heard that the gorgeous sights of fall throughout the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic are becoming more muted because of the impact of climate change. Trees bear witness. And bodies bear witness. My congregation is practicing alongside Resma Menachem's book, My Grandmother's Hands, and how racialized trauma lives in our bodies. In this month's episode, we hear from Ray Buckley on the topic of bearing witness. Ray offered the following teaching at a five-day academy in 2019. Ray is the interim director for the Center for First Nations Spirituality and a longtime faculty member of the Academy for Spiritual Formation. Ray has served the United Methodist Church as a staff member of the UM Publishing House, director of the Native People Communication Office under UMCOM, and director of Connectional Ministries and Native Discipleship for the Alaska Missionary Conference. Ray is the author and illustrator of a number of storybooks and studies on Native peoples for children and youth. My personal favorite is Christmas Moccasins. His stories, poetry, and art have appeared in numerous journals, periodicals, and books around the world. Ray and his brother Rick make their home in Palmer, Alaska. Ray's teaching invites listeners to consider what it means to embody witness. How does our speech change when we've encountered another culture? How is our imagination shaped by another's language? How do our lives transform when we've been impacted by another's story? I have to admit, I listened to this particular episode at least six times. The first four times I was multitasking, but the last two times I let myself be in Ray's presence and let his way with story communicate truth. As you listen today, become aware of the ways wisdom has been shared with you. Listen on, dear one, and as you listen, breathe deeply and expand gently. I want to teach you in a form of teaching that we couldn't use for math or science or even teaching music but it is the way indigenous peoples have taught, and it is the way that in Zen Buddhism one teaches, and it is in the way that the desert fathers and mothers taught. It is the the way of teaching that involves what we call circular story. And story in traditional legends, if you visit Hawaii, native Hawaiians would say, we're going to spend some time and we're going to talk story. And that means we're going to get together, we're going to share family stories, we're going to tell traditional stories, we're going to tell the things that are important to our being as people. But the word story 
does not mean often as we convey it in English as people who are storytellers or people who go to the national storytelling event and share stories or people um, who can begin from beginning to end a tale of importance or humor. But the word story in many indigenous languages, as you know, in our country, there was at one time probably 600 indigenous languages. There are less than 200 still remaining. In India, indigenous languages are disappearing at the rate of 40 a year. In the United States, we are losing uh, probably at the rate of five or six a year. Chief Marie Smith was one of my neighbors in Alaska, she was the last fluent speaker of the EAC language, actually the last speaker. She was a delightful person. And when you came to see Marie, you would bring cigarettes. She was a chain smoker until she passed away at 98. <laughs> but cigarettes were, was tobacco was a means of communicating with prayer. But Marie, she just liked tobacco. And so you would bring her a carton of cigarettes and... As you know, as the price of cigarettes has gotten up, visiting Marie could be very expensive. Marie was the last speaker of her tribe. There was a young man that came from Finland to learn to speak Iyak. And we have preserved as much of the language as we can by recording. But when Iyak died, a culture died with it. And the languages of the earth and in the languages we first professed our knowledge of God in whatever form that was, even in Christian experience, some tribes in the United States will say, um, as in Uchi language from Oklahoma, we no longer have, we have the ability to hear our language and use the words, but we no longer know the meaning and so we have lost the testimony of our first encounters with God in the way that we perceived God and the way that we perceived the world around us. In Lakota language, there are three words that I use all the time, and I'd, I'd like to share them with, with you. They are the words for remembering Susan spoke this morning about the development of the world and the development of species in the layer upon layer upon layer that is our life. And in her image, there were circles. There were circles upon circle upon circle. And Susan, it spoke to my spirit. These are the layers of ourselves as we belong. In Lakota, the word to remember is wexue. W-E-K-S-U-Y-E, if we were to phonetically spell it. Wexue. The word to say I remember you is sikswe. C-I-K-S-U-Y-E. 
And the word meaning to remember me, as in my request for you to remember me, is meeksuay. M-I-K-S-U-Y-E. In Lakota, there is no word for recall. So I cannot speak to you and ask you to recall something. There is simply no word for it. There are also some words that are absent within our languages, many native languages. There is no word for goodbye in probably two-thirds of native languages. But to say the word wexaway, to remember, is not to recall within your, within your brain, but the word remember means to pull into the marrow of your being. We would say it is to pull into your DNA and experience, or as native people would say, into the marrow of your bones to pull the experience into the marrow of your bones so that your body is physically altered by a relational experience that you have had with another. So if I say to you, wex away, I am saying, I remember you. Six away, I remember you personally. I am saying that something has happened within the time that we have been together. When we talk about the marrow within our bones, I am expecting God to do something here for me. And not just one thing, uh, probably a lot of little things. I am expecting the land to impact me, the buildings to impact me. When I go home, my brother will say to me, what has changed in your life, and I will tell my brother what I, can, what I can tell him of your stories and how that has changed me. You will impact my life, so your responsibility is to make me better. That's the only reason that you're here, for no other reason. No. We are brought together so that our relationship, however brief or long that may be, may alter the marrow of our bones. And we can say one of another or the created world around us or the ground itself. The elders would say, take off your moccasins and walk on the ground so that the soles of your feet can know the earth underneath. We can't go barefoot in this building because there's too many people that come in and out. Take off your shoes at times and experience the ground beneath your feet. Experience the life of God and the world in each other and let them change you. So when I say to you, wax away, remember Pull it into the marrow of your bones so that your DNA is changed. If I say to you, seeks away, I'm saying to you, I remember you. Not just when we were in academy together, but when you altered the nature of my being. 
99-year-old man in Seattle came to a place where I was speaking. It was a shelter, women's shelter for abused women. It was a safety place by the Presbyterian Church. But they had a day when they were able to invite all the workers and everybody in. And they brought this elderly man. And the only reason he came was that he'd heard I was from Alaska. He was celebrating his 100th birthday one month ahead. And when it was over, he came to talk. And as we often do, sometimes when we're wearing our best, as we often do, we were in a hurry. And people kept trying to get him in the van. And so I took him by the arm and I said, let's you and me go out in the hallway for a little bit. We sat down in a chair. And he said to me, I'm going to be a hundred. There are two things that are important in my life. The first is I loaded the bomb on the Enola Gay that was dropped on Hiroshima. He said, I was one of a handful of people that loaded the bomb. We didn't know what we were doing. We were just, we didn't know what the bomb would do. He said, none of us did, but we were doing what we were asked to do at a time in history. He said, I have never forgotten the images. I'm paraphrasing. He's never forgetting the circular stories. And he was wanting to know how to get out of that circular story. And then he said, the next most important thing that happened to me in my life was when I was stationed after that in Ketchikan, as many of you know, during World War II, uh, Japanese imperial forces invaded the Aleutian Islands and occupied several of the Aleutian Islands. And so the native people were moved out of those islands and sent to live in canneries, old canneries. Uh, which is a separate story. He was sent to Ketchikan. He said, I was sitting in the window looking out over the water and I watched a bald eagle fly over and the bald eagle came down and tried to grab a salmon out of the water. And bald eagle's claws come and they'll actually go through like like this, claws all the way through. They have a hard time undoing the claws sometimes. It's easier for a bald eagle to eat something along the river that's deceased than it is to try to catch it unless it's another bird. But he saw. He said, I saw this bald eagle and it flew down and it grabbed the salmon and then its wings began to move But the salmon was heavier than the eagle, and the weight of the salmon pulled the eagle down into the water. 
what an illustration of life. The weight of what it was carrying was too great, so it pulled her down into the water. He said, when I saw that she was drowning, I rushed out of the building and I went out into the water and I grabbed the wet eagle around her wings and pulled her to shore and brought her inside. And the men in my unit built a cage and I took care of her. Until her wings were dry, she had regained her strength. But every day, and he said, the first night I set up with her, eagles make the most beautiful small sound within their throats. We always think of the eagle cry, but the eagle sound within the throat can be so delicate. He said, I fell in love with her. And then I took her out at the end of the dock and I let her go when she was well. He said, does that cancel out the first one? And they were busy rushing him off and I followed him to the van. We had talked it put him inside, and he was watching me through the window as they went away. And that story image has stayed in my mind. There is grace in relationship. There is joy in relationship. We have the capacity to reach out and find the new words for rescue and to be a part of and engage. He had pulled an abstract into his mind of what was beyond his control, what was beyond his capacity to control, what was beyond his ability to control, what was beyond his knowledge and awareness until the guilt from that one action became one of the most important things of his life, an action that was out of his control. But he had found an action that was rescuing another and creating relationship with another into the world. And by that action, he was able to establish genuine relationship and to pull that into his being. I gave him which I never do. I never do. I gave him the name Eagle Man before he got into the car. We pull the experiences of our life and our relationship in the broader world, the provider, the creator, all that the creator has caused to be made in the history of time, our relationship with others who are part of our place in creation, our human beingness, and our relationships that we develop, if they are meaningful, they should alter our DNA till every day we change who we are. Before I moved back 19 years ago, and a lot of the work I do is in Siberia and across Canada and other places, but 
I've been working for the church for a long time. The church is not God. That's an important thing to say. The church can be about the work of the church and the work of God, but sometimes be very little about relationship. And sometimes those of you that are involved in giving of yourself continually, you can give and give and give until you are exhausted and you think, where is God? And it is simply that you are exhausted. I don't quite agree with Thomas Merton. I think there are times when you are reflecting and times that you are praying and you fall asleep. And I think a lot of times sleep can be prayer. And it should be. In the springtime, when green things begin to grow, we go to the edge of the mountains or the rivers or the streams and we gather the things that make tonic for the spring. We gather fiddlehead ferns and the ulchan come up the river, candlefish. They have so much oil that when they're dry, you can light one like a candle and they'll burn. And we go out with what used to be snow shovels and we, we put hardware cloth on them and we scoop them up because there are so many. Each family takes some. We gather all the green things. And then in the, the spring, the birch bark, uh, the sap begins to flow. And so we tap some to make birch syrup. And some we take the very thin outer layer of the bark. And that we will dry and we will make baskets. And the salmon begin to come in May. And we fish. And whatever we do for a living, we fish with our people. And the first salmon that comes up the river, we celebrate and we have a worship service, either in churches or in traditional villages, to acknowledge the salmon. Because in our culture, when the Russian Orthodox priests were looking for a word to describe Jesus, there was no word that they could find in our languages. And so the story of the swimmer, the one who fights the falls and the string to come back to the place, exact spot where it was born. The salmon comes back to lay its eggs if it's female, to mate with the female if it's male, and there they lay their eggs, and their bodies die, and their decaying bodies nourish the eggs and nourish the fry, and the babies survive because the parents have given their life and the babies fight against the flow, but then turn around and their, their bodies are washed back into the sea to return to the exact same spot. And the people say of the swimmer, of the salmon, the one that returns to give their lives. So the Russian Orthodox priest said, that is the name that we'll use for Savior, the one who returns to give its life. So when the salmon come back, we gathered the salmon. In the old days, our women would take baskets. And where there were no rivers that had salmon, they would line the baskets with moss. 
and they would take the eggs from the river and put them in these baskets of moss line and they would rush to a river that had no salmon and they would put the eggs in the basket in the river so when the eggs hatched, they would come back to this new stream for their home. And in the fall, we hunt because we can't live without the meat. And when we take the life of a moose, we turn its head back to the village so that its head is facing the village. And we say to the moose before anything else is done, these are the people for whom you gave your life. And in the course of the seasons, the winter in which we have worked all spring and summer is the time that we create beautiful things. And so we carve wood and we tell stories and we make baskets, but we only do it in the winter and we only do it in groups until springtime comes. And in the time of winter, We plan on what we will do in the spring and summer. And those who are lawyers and those who are teachers go to the streams. And when I eat salmon, no matter where I eat salmon, I keep the bones and I wrap it in a napkin and I take it home to the river by my house and put it inside. And lawyers and professors... (coughs) Mechanics, they will take the bones from where they are and stop their Subaru Forester along the edge of a stream and put the bones back in so that the salmon will know we have appreciated its life. We are very much in closing in the winter seasons. We are in the winter season of the church, having acquired wealth, having acquired a lot of things for which to make beautiful things, but we don't know quite what to do with that winter season. We are in the winter season of the world, having gathered and taked, and now having made things for beautiful things, we are in the season where we plan what we will do. So we take the bones of our lives and the world and the eyes of the whale and our faith and our children and our spouses and we face them and we pull them into the marrow of our being so that all we do is impacted by their existence. And we get up from where we are in this moment and in this place to walk in a sacred manner. Only one question to ponder, but it's a long one. Where are the circles of relationship in your life? Where are the circles of relationship in your life? That will be your village. It will be the place of your ancestors. It will be the things that occupy your spiritual time. Where are the circles of your life that have altered your DNA?
now God in whom all things come. You have provided for us in the world. You have taught us the spirits and the sounds of others around us. Give us peace for this moment. Rest for those who need it. Grace for our thoughts. And help us to listen to the world around us. Amen. gift to receive Ray's storytelling. What is going on in the marrow of your bones right now? What experiences live there? What sights of beauty and terror are coursing through you even now? I'm grateful for these new words from the Lakota language that Ray has brought to our ears. I will hold these words and the ways they put me in new relationship with people as I ponder what it means to bear witness. Drawing remembrance not from the mind, but from our very being, our gut, our DNA. I wonder if I have the capacity to move this way the next time I encounter someone who's having a hard time. The next time I stumble upon a story of hate and fear while I'm scrolling, will I be curious and let it impact me long enough to change me on the inside. Ray reminds us that the church is not God, and we give thanks. Because so much of what is church today, roles to play, programs, worshiping without listening, helping without being present, can leave us empty and exhausted. What does it mean to embody the love of God as we prepare a meal? As we go about mundane tasks, how do we embody the life-giving nature of Christ as we cast our ballot? Perhaps taking these practices outside of church with deep intention will allow us to bear witness in every place we go. Thanks for listening along with us today. Share this podcast with others. May it be a nudge a guide, an honoring of intuitions you've long held, and a means for justice in your lives and the lives of all. To hear more from faculty and wisdom guides like Ray Buckley, join us at the next online or in-person Academy retreat. For more information, visit academy.upperroom.org.